You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your host, Thomas Ardovani and Suzanne Toro. We are streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, and Amazon Music. Let's jump into the Joy Zone. Well, welcome to Indie Creators. Colin Hooten is beaming in from Living Tea, located in Telluride, Colorado. Colin, really excited to have you here today. And I happen, I don't know if you can see it yet, but I happen to, on the table, have the winter uh, teas that were sent out. So we'll dive into those a little oh, bit wait later. Wait a second, I think I actually have those. Actually, I think I have a shot of those winter teas. So what have you been up to? How is Telluride now? Is it full of snow? Uh, it's been a dry winter, you know. It's been kind of a strange year. Um, between there not being much snow and everybody locked in their houses, I think we're all about to lose our minds around here. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I was thinking of you the other day when I was looking at the mountain structure in Telluride that you must really go way out oftentimes, Colin. <laughs> how, how is it, yeah. the alchemy of the earth been treating you out there? Well, you know, the reason I like living here is because we're on the edge of civilization. Um, meaning that you can go in, in three directions from my house. And once you get about 10 minutes away, you're on the edge of town. And from there, you could go into the mountains without seeing anybody for many, many days. I think. Nice. If that's what somebody's looking for, then it's wonderful. I mean, you know. There's a real sense of living um, in the wild here. So. Right. I could tell from all the pictures of your hiking. <laughs> you resonate really well with the earth there. You're not looking to up and move out of there anytime soon. I think uh, if I can pull it off, I'll just stay here until I die. Nice. <laughs> and so share a little bit with the listeners about your the center. I know that it was all opening right about when COVID uh came down the pike for the world uh how has that been how have you transitioned into that space in and out of that space because we've kind of been on a ping pong match a little bit with this experience yeah well so as you know i um started traveling extensively about 12 years ago throughout asia um both to study chinese medicine more uh thoroughly or more deeply but also in search of old growth uh, trees um, and to learn more from the traditions that have developed what's called Chadao or Chinoyu in Japan, the way of tea, 
and in search of teachers, but also wanting to just go spend time in these, you know, forests of 1500 year old tea trees. Um, and fast forward 12 years and we found ourselves up here in the mountains and my uh, partner and I decided to open a traditional tea house and art gallery. Um, I kind of think of it more as like a, a Zendo or a Shala or a, you know, a dojo of sorts, yeah. but it could be approached by um, the average person walking down the street is just a beautiful art gallery that has really extraordinary tea and that likes to brew it in a way that uh, is inconvenient if you're accustomed to tea bags and a mug. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was a place for teaching uh, a lot of Taoist and Buddhist ideas and also to house this tradition of Chinese medicine, Taoist medicine, uh, clinical herbalism, acupuncture, but also um, a formal tea house. So I kind of say, you know, we had a lot of teachings sort of hidden in plain sight and you could meet the space wherever you were at. Um, and so we spent about 10 months renovating it. It was an old bike shop for 24 years. So it was really beat up and run down. And, uh, you know, there was dirt floors in the back and we just, we rebuilt it from the ground up. You know, we had to rebuild the attic because it's a 130 year old, you know, an old mining building right. or a building from the old mining days. And um, redid, we redid the floors and the walls and the windows and the ceiling and um, turned it into a formal fine art gallery and, and tea house. So we got our final inspection on March 8th. Yeah. On March 15th, we were supposed to open, and on March th March 13th, everything shut down. Yeah. So we are not formally open yet, and it's oh. been a wild ride, but we're not alone, right? So, no, but you're still there. We're still here, and uh, luckily we've got a pretty loyal um, following online. So, um, you know, we've been able to take a step back and revisit a lot of the infrastructure and the systems and the processes behind everything that we do um and so we've been able to kind of ride this wave but because all of our operating expenses really ramped up in march we didn't qualify for any of the loans or grants mm -hmm. or anything so yeah um you know i kept talking to friends and they go well you know, it's been kind of nice in a way like i've been out of work for three months but it's sort of been like an extended vacation i've been you know biking and hiking and skiing and i go well we've just been working our brains out trying to figure out how to, <laughs> to keep things how to going. combat yeah to keep things going because we weren't able to open so right yeah i think yeah. a lot of people feel like you where it was and i i can concur it's like run run forest run keep going um <laughs> So I guess yeah. it just depends how we, we met it. Now, um, share with the listeners a little bit about what you have available online, uh, being that the world appears, at least here in California, we radically opened <laughs> really rapidly last week, um, that we'll be opening. So maybe you'll have some tourists, but everyone can dive into your tea uh, online. So if you'll share right now what your offerings are and you have some great uh, immune support um, Chinese herbalism and teas available too, which I think everyone's maybe more aware of how important it is to uh, preload your system versus try to catch up if you get ill. Yeah, I mean, um, 
you know, I have a background, as you know, in traditional Chinese medicine. And um, so a lot of a lot of the basis of what we carry obviously is tea oriented, but also we carry a lot of um, medicinal herbal formulas and single herbs and tinctures, some of which are strongly antiviral, some are immunostimulants. Um, some are angiolytics to help with um, anxiety, sleep, um, you know, overwhelm. Obviously, this is a time, you know, everybody talks about the three crises, right? So the health crisis and the economic crisis and then the mental health crisis, yeah. because this is obviously an incredibly uh, intense and overwhelming period for a lot of people. Um, and so... It kind of depends on what folks are looking for. You know, there was a big study done, and you can read about this on the website, but um, At there's a big, yes, indeed, that's what it is. Um, there was a big study done subsequent to SARS-1 uh, in the early 2000s in China, and they looked at 720 natural compounds to try to determine um, are there any that are particularly effective in inhibiting viral replication with SARS-1. And um, because SARS-2 or COVID-19 is the nucleotide sequence is 96, between 96 and 97% identical to SARS-1. Um, of course, when I said this to my brother, who's a doctor, he said, well, those three to 4% make a big difference. For example, apes and humans. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I understand. But the point here is that um, when you have such a similar nucleotide sequence, um, oftentimes viral replication is similar. So um, substances that have inhibitory action are going to work similarly. So out of these 720 substances, what they found was the most effective were red tea and poor tea, which I thought was just amazing. Yeah. Um, because I think there's a lot of things that are magical about tea, but um, in this case, it seems to speak directly to some of the issues we're looking at collectively. Um, so I tell people drinking red tea or poor tea is not going to prevent you from contracting uh, COVID. However, we can stack the cards in our favor by supporting our immune system, um, making sure our bio train is balanced and that we're as healthy as humanly possible. And certainly drinking tea as opposed to say alcohol or any of the other substances that are used to address stress or overwhelm or um, kind of mental emotional issues tea is definitely going to support that a lot more than most other substances out there so definitely you know a hug for sure since we can't hug each other it's it's like a tree hugging <laughs> you from the inside yeah <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that we have been carrying that is part of kind of a lot of the immunity offerings um is this formula called the jade windscreen uh 21 day formula which I've just run out of because the herbs in it are in such high demand internationally mm. um, that we seem to be going through it really quickly. Um, but it's based on the work of a guy named John Chen, who's a Chinese doctor and also a PhD um, 
he's not a chemist, but he studies the chemical constituents of herbs, of Chinese herbs. So he's interested in understanding their traditional application, but also the way that we can understand them through biomedical science. Right. And um, he looked at, you know, China is no stranger to epidemics throughout history. And Chinese medicine has been around for a very long time. Um, and he looked at similar epidemics and then what kind of formulas are being used and then developed a formula of antiviral and immunostimulant herbs that dry up the lung phlegm and they support digestion and they treat all the early stage symptoms of COVID like headache and fever and muscle pain. And um, between those and the strong antiviral herbs, it's really a potent preventative um, medicinal formula. And so we started carrying that formula with links to all of Dr. Chen's videos because he really goes into uh, extraordinary depth into the Western understanding of COVID, but also how we're treating it through integrated medicine. And um, I've been taking this brew every day and I feel pretty darn good and our whole staff is. And they, they've done these big epidemiological studies of um, healthcare workers in big hospitals in China. And the healthcare workers consistently taking this formula um, they found like a 94% reduction in the percentages of them contracting COVID. So um, it's a big moment, I think, for Chinese medicine in the world. Uh, yeah. You know, but um, it's weird. You know, we try to put up ads through like Google or Instagram or Facebook promoting yeah. some of our antivirals. And they, they, they put a sticker on you and say no. Yeah, they go, no, these guys are trying to actually help people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been, so. the, that's been the interesting, uh, I think it's actually been a good thing because, you know, it's kind of like the teenage kid where your parents say you can't do that, so then you really find a way to do that. <laughs> so right. I think most people, when they keep seeing that, and, and I think, you know, society at large had already been participating in uh, natural well-being versus maybe exclusively just big pharma so uh that's i think it will turn around in the near future um so you must you've also had a beautiful addition to your family a son how has that impacted you how does that bring you joy colin i want to see you um, i cannot wait to visit you and see you as a dad <laughs> i know i it'd be better if we were talking in person you know one of these soon enough i hope yeah um well, his name's uh, Lyndon, and uh, he's seven months old, and he's he's a little shining, like beaming bundle of joy and happiness. I don't, uh, you know, they say people say like, um, I heard somebody say, well, you know, it's kid karma. So I'm sure you were sweet until you were like 14. Just you know, give him 14 <laughs> years. <laughs> Well, uh, we know how you were as a teenager, so. <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But at the moment, um, we're just thrilled, Jade and I, and we're, you know, I think I got really lucky in the sense that he just seems to be such a happy uh, and wonderfully yeah. um, joyful little human, so. Yeah. That's that's a good sign. How have you been filling up as far as like tea ceremony, and how are you finding ways to engage with the world at large? 
Yeah, well, you know, um, I've been doing some podcasts. I've been doing a lot of writing. So actually, I think you might enjoy. Um, I just wrote a lengthy article called Nourishing Life about the history of food from um, going all the way back pre-agricultural revolution up through the industrial revolution, scientific revolution, and uh, where we're at now. And then it talks a lot about the perspective from Taoist medicine on food as me- food as medicine. Mm. Um, and, you know, it gets into how kind of the uniform, precise schedule of industry since the Industrial Revolution has changed humans in ways that we don't always recognize or appreciate and how important it is to acknowledge some of our some of our older ways of doing things and some of the ancestral wisdom that we've lost largely. Um, that's the book so you I wrote? Was that the, that no, the that's, that's a, it's a lengthy article I just recently wrote called uh, Nourishing Life. That's, um, it's on the website on our, on our well, come blog. Come on now, come on now, do tell. Come on, you <laughs> did all that research. What's the essence? Come on, give us a little bit. Well, the essence... Um, what yes, we got what have we got to do as humans to figure this thing out? Well, how are we gonna? Well, well, what was the main ancestral pull there? Well, one thing I will say, and this is even going pre-agricultural revolution, is that um, we had this dazzling variety and array of food that we ate um, when we were living more as hunter-gatherers or um, semi-agricultural, semi-nomadic. Um, the in, in the average day, the amount of food that was consumed, you know, tubers and roots and berries and seeds and animals and leaves and, um, was just extraordinarily vast. And so on one hand, you know, you hear a lot of people nowadays talking about the gut microbiome and the importance of homeostasis or allostasis in the microorganisms that inhabit the stomach lining in the gut. You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your host, Thomas Ardovani and Suzanne Toro. We are streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, and Amazon Music. Let's jump into the Joy Zone. Commonly known to the layman as probiotic. Uh, probiotics, yes, exactly. Yeah. Probiotics <laughs> and, and prebiotics. Has the but best syntax ever. <laughs> um, but right over my head. Um, not by design. I apologize. No, no. So, I'll, I'll check um, you because okay, you cool. just figure I'm the lowest common denominator. So if I if I get it, then everybody will get it. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so, and as we know now, and we're learning more and more with understanding the gut biome um the intrinsic immune system you could say our fundamental foundational immune system um is dependent upon and fueled by and informed by all those microorganisms in the colonies of bacteria in the gut and what feeds them to make them really resilient communities of bacteria 
is a wide variety of food. One reason why I think we're starting to see so many, you know, adult onset allergies and chronic degenerative diseases and preventable diseases is because our food system has been so whacked out, which, you know, this could be a whole series of podcasts. One thing to take away is that humans have hybridized food over and over and over again. So like the example I like to use is in the 1600s, um, I think it was the Dutch, there was the House of Orange and a war was won and the scientists of the time to celebrate the winning of that war took an Afghani purple carrot, the original carrot, and a mutated white carrot, and they figured out how to hybridize them into an orange carrot, and they presented it to the House of Orange and said, uh, congratulations on this big victory. And the orange carrot became in vogue throughout Europe, and now what do we generally eat a lot of? Orange carrots. Now that's fine, you know, who cares about the color of a carrot, except that the nutrient density of an orange carrot versus a purple Afghani or, or even the white carrot is like 300 times less phytonutrient density. Mm. And so if you extrapolate that out over all these other foods, like the sweet yellow onion, onions were never sweet like that. You know, that was the East Coast in the early 1900s. Or, the, or apples, how many different varieties of apples do we have now? And on and on and on. And you see this across all these different food groups. And then you combine that with the way that the soil through pesticides, herbicides, larvicides, weed killers, fertilizers has been compromised. And then glyphosate, you know, Dr. Zach Bush's work has become more yeah. um, well known recently. But glyphosate breaking or um, breaking down the tight cell junction in the intestines, but also all the mucous membranes throughout the body. And we're not absorbing nutrients properly. And in addition, the nutrients aren't there because of how we mess with the food and the soil. So, so one takeaway is eat a large variety of food. Mm -hmm. And one way to do to take the guesswork out of that is by joining a local CSA, because then you're naturally going to get what foods are in season. Um, and it forces you to figure out what the hell do I do with a kohlrabi or yeah. you know eggplant or whatever. <laughs> I whatever. It is. What, I just want to know what the hell a CSA is. Uh, it's it's called community supported agriculture. So ah. it's like, uh, you know, most places, definitely in California, like those people. Um, yeah, they send you a food box. It's usually not more expensive than going to the grocery store, and you get a lot of organic, seasonally grown food that was picked in the last couple of days instead of picked, you know, three weeks ago in Mexico and put on the shelf. Has things added to it so that it'll stay quote fresh longer. So. Um, you know, getting to know local farmers also is a way for us to connect with the earth and the seasons in ways that we don't tend to do very much nowadays. So absolutely. Well, you seem to have a unique perspective, and certainly you're you're living the life. I mean, uh, Telluride's pretty beautiful, and yeah, it's all right. Well, I I, I can't <laughs> complain. You know, <laughs> it's it's so expensive that you're broke. No matter. You guys, you guys still have a. Uh, it's like eighty percent men and guys walking around with the. Uh, pistols on their hips still carrying up there. i would say that uh i'm glad that i'm not a single man here because yes there are certainly a lot more men than there are women and you know it's an interesting place because um on one hand you either have people who are hardcore like extreme sport enthusiasts you know like 
jumping off cliffs with parachutes and skiing yeah. and out in backcountry and like extreme sports. Or you've got kind of the residual sort of hippie population from the 70s who came up here uh, because it was really progressive and laid back back in the 70s. And there's a lot of great music, live music all, all year round. Yeah, and all the music. You go to that jazz festival every year for a long time. Yeah, I mean, we get some really incredible artists up here. Right? Yeah, that film festival is just is still extraordinary. I got, I guess they, you know, see what they do this year with it. But uh, and of course the skiing and the scenery and that old mining history, the gold mining history that you have up in the hill there above the above you is uh, pretty pretty wild to go up there and see that the community lived up there and existed at such an altitude. Yeah, I mean, there's a town up there called Tomboy, which had at one point eight to nine thousand people. And like you said, now it's a ghost town way up in the mountains. But when you go up there, you go, I can't believe people live here. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. You know? Wow, like um, a little Himalayan chateau. Oh, no, yeah. So like the little, the little road that they pull you up there, you go up there, <laughs> and like you realize that there's like, uh, you know, donkeys pulling carts and people and everything up there. And then you got like, it's not like a two-lane highway. It's just like a one-lane road. It's like... In, yeah, a tiny little road. To the one side of you, you, you fall to your death. It's crazy. <laughs> I was just going to say there's kind of an interesting demographics because you've got the extreme sports, you've got the music lovers, the more progressive folks. Then you've got the leftover miners from the old mining families. And those are the ones you're going to see walking down the street with a, with a gun hanging off their hip, you know? Yeah. It's and fun. then you've got... Um, the wealthy billionaires like Oprah and Tom Cruise with their, you know, uh, massive yeah, chateaus, yeah. And then, uh, and then you've got kind of the rest of us. So, uh, you all, you, you know, all, the business. You definitely got to do that altitude training thing before you get up there. Otherwise, you're just going to be in big trouble. Yeah, well, we're up at nine thousand feet, so it's uh, it's no joke, you know. Yeah, it's no, definitely no joke. So you, so you live a, you live a wonderful. You must have an interesting perspective on what's going on. And then uh, I would imagine as you head into the inner cities and you take a look around and or you just look at the news and you look at California and it's a couple hundred thousand plus homeless and uh, looking at a society that's stressed and needing some form of relief and assurance, it seems like your tea and your perspective on uh, longevity and health uh, is really super relevant these days. I mean, how are... How are you actively communicating or getting this out to uh, these really in need communities? You know, when we weren't able to open the tea house, we did some things for our local community here in terms of just uh, acupuncture, herbalism, tea, etc. But also we started doing a lot of marketing and advertising just so people out there in the social media world can find us. Um, because, you know, the teas we're carrying are really unique in that most people think of tea and they think of a tea bag that they put in a mug. They don't think of it as medicinal, as a medicinal herb. But what's different is um, the teas we're carrying, a lot of them are from 800 to 1,000 year old tea trees, trees that are grown from seed, uh, free of any kind of agrochemicals, and then they're processed in a particular way. So, so you just um, said something kind of weird. You said a 1,500 <laughs> year old tree. The oldest tea tree we have on record is over 3,200 years old. Oh my, oh my god! So, you, wow! I can so the oldest one I've 500 year old tea. What's yeah, that like? the oldest tree I've the oldest tree I've seen with my own eyes 
uh, was a 2200 year old tea tree, which was huge. And wow. they don't harvest it anymore, but um, they harvest all the smaller trees around it. And, uh, you know, tea is a totally different plant at that point. Um, you know, both from just a medicinal qualities and, you know, polyphenols and antioxidants and all that, but um, also the way it makes you feel. They're not, it's not really comparable to what you buy in Whole Foods in a tea bag or whatever. Well, well and um, hear a little bit about the spiritual essence of the tea that comes through. Historically, the earliest mention of tea is from some pharmacopias, some herbal pharmacopias that go back to uh, 2000 BC in China. Uh, that's the first mention we have of tea being used as a medicinal herb. And it's in a category called the Shen tonic. Um, so without going off on Chinese medicine right now, I'll give you a brief explanation, which is the earliest descriptions say that tea brightens the eyes. And one way to interpret that is that it nourishes the liver blood, which then uh, makes your eyes clear. Or you could say because of the caffeine, it's a slight stimulant, so it makes you more aware, so the eyes are clear. But that's actually a misunderstanding of what's meant by, by that. What it really means is <clears throat> that tea has this remarkable capacity, it's an adaptogenic herb, to both calm the spirit or, or to calm the mind so that the mind slows down, which is the source of all our anxiety, in the words of Osho, no, no mind, no problem, right? Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> so tea, tea calms the mind, but it also opens the heart, and then it moves stagnant energy through the body. So patterns of energy, psychosomatic energy that's held, what we call samskaras in Sanskrit or gratis, knots of energy that come from trauma or fear or difficulties, psycho-emotional issues, um, those knots are bound energy. So tea breaks those up, but then it leaves you with a calm mind and the heart open so that you can actually process the, the clearing of those energies. So if one drinks tea and treats it as a practice, you know, a mindfulness practice, I always say put a couple leaves in a bowl and drink three bowls of tea in silence in the morning uh, with no phone or emails or any technology. Uh, you know, the hardest thing I think for a human being to do is to do nothing. <laughs> so try to sit and do nothing for 15 minutes and have three cups of tea in silence yeah. and see what emerges, what comes to the surface. Um, you know, you are doing, but you are doing something. You're, you're sitting there drinking tea. You're well, still this doing is something. true. <laughs> this, this is true. So actually, here, here's a different way of putting it. Try to actually do it with attention. So instead of a tea bag and a mug while you're on the phone and you're also, you know, trying to get a leash on your dog and doing 20 other things, just create a 15 minute ritual a day where you're just, you're just doing one thing. That's it. You know, one definition of Zen Buddhism is do one, doing one thing at a time, not just doing one thing physically at a time, but also doing only one thing with the mind at the same time. So, uh -huh. you know, you'll be interesting to, be interesting to hear your definition of health. I mean, what is your... How do you define optimal health, and 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 how are you uh, probably maintaining yourself? But what advice would you have for just the regular person out there? 
that's eating that Western diet, poisoning themselves every day, un unintentionally, of course. But uh, we're, we're seeing a, we're seeing a lot of you know there's a lot of chronic illness out there, and I, and I guess through your eyes because you've taken it to such a refined art, uh, you know, through understanding outside entities to help restore something on the inside, and then taking this then uh, perspective and then combining the practice with you know. Uh, putting good stuff on your body. How do you define Yeah. That? Well, I think health, um, and this is a definition that I'm borrowing and then adding my own twist on it from one of my teachers, uh, who Suzanne knows, Wuda in Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, he likes to define health as anything, and he does mean anything, that puts you in harmony with all life on earth. Mm. Um, and that might be a little esoteric or abstract if somebody's like, well, how the hell does that help me decide what to eat for <laughs> breakfast? Uh, and, you, and my response is, well, what you're choosing to eat for breakfast, did it come from a place of harmony uh, and wellness to begin with? So one way of thinking about that is like, you know, there's a saying, there are rules around, uh, you wouldn't even call it prayer. You'd call it intentionality in Zen Buddhism with, before you eat a meal, you know? And uh, the first of them is we reflect on the effort and sacrifice that went into this food. And that's a very um, non-abstract thing to reflect on. There were farmers that grew that food and then there were truck drivers that drove it somewhere. And then uh, there was there were people who put it on the shelves at a grocery store or grew it at a, at a local farm. Um, and then there was the preparation of the food itself. And then there's the money that you worked hard to make to buy the food. So there's a lot of effort and sacrifice that went into it all the way along. And human beings, we tend to think that our food comes from a sterile shelf, you know, in a neon lit uh, grocery store because we're not in touch with the growing of food, uh, you know. Package. Well, yeah, we. It, it feels it feels like you're a little outside the, that box, though. If you talk about health, and would have said anything that allows us to find harmony. Is that what you said? Anything that allows us to find balance? Is that how did you put? Uh, anything, anything that allows us to find harmony with all life on earth. With all life on earth. So he basically, it's sort of a description of a condition, a state, a way to see things. Uh, it seems like, uh, especially from through a Zen practice, the practice is to find your way back to present in order to align yourself with the truth of what's happening around you sensorially speaking at least and to return perspective to the moment at hand uh, and it feels like through the meditative repose and the, the teas and through proper diet you're giving yourself your mind a better opportunity to possibly carve out a space for yourself to remember who you are in relation to time and space um, these old trees that you're pulling the tea from it's like, uh, how can you describe the difference between that 2,200-year-old tea tree, tea tree, and uh, like uh, you know something we pull off the shelf here at uh, Costco? Hey, you know what? I got like 300 tea bags for 5.99 at like that grocery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what I would say is try uh, try drinking a living tea, and then you know brew brew a green tea that's a living tea, and then brew a green tea that's out of a tea bag and pay attention to how you feel. That's the easiest way to tell the difference. Yeah. Um, well, well that's, a, that's an interesting thing because that, that in itself, to be able to pay attention to that nuance of actually being present enough to feel a shift from tea, other than if it's, of course, loaded with caffeine, which is why.
Yeah. I drink it. But it requires a, uh, you know, and of course we we all know about this, uh, the tea ceremony, at least I've heard it through lore. Is there, is there something to the tea ceremony uh, as you, as you break bread with these 2200 year old tea trees? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the, the way that what, what you bring to it is um, intentionality in a tea ceremony. And I suppose you could bring great reverence and intentionality to taking a tea bag out of a box and preparing tea in a mug. Um, you know, a lot of it's a state of mind. I remember Suzanne once talking about one of her friends who she said he was so clear in his intentionality that he could go eat Kentucky Fried Chicken and not only yeah. feel not conflicted about it, but he still maintained a equanimity and clarity of thought and, and of the way he lived. And I think, you know, there are a lot of things that transcend a purely uh, material level of existence. I also, so the mind you bring to it, the intention you bring to anything, of course, you know, you want that in scientific terms, it's the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, right? That the consciousness of the observer changes the uh, outcome of the observed, which you know, that's quantum physics is starting to say a whole lot about that, which is they were talking about this stuff back in the Upanishads or the, you know, the Rig Vedas, the earliest texts in the planet. They already had this one figured out, which is everything's connected and uh, everything you do is connected to everything else. So, right. um, but at least science is catching up. It just took us a couple thousand years. <laughs> sure, you could bring great intentionality and reverence to the fact that tea is a very labor-intensive process. So even just a sense of respect for the fact that the tea farmers had to work really, really hard to get that tea to you is, is one level. The tea ceremony at the, at the furthest extreme, there's a lot of study and intentionality that goes into a tea ceremony. So a tea ceremony is a vehicle for teaching the non-verbal, non-dogmatic teachings of nature, from nature. Um, it's even more direct to the source than, say, Taoist or Buddhist thought or uh, shamanic practices, shamanic thought. Um, going beyond the words to describe those teachings, you know, we have a saying in our tradition, which is the sutras are written in the veins of the leaf, mm -hmm. which I like a lot. You know, it's almost like a different, it's a language that's pre, Precognitive, and in that way, it's more direct. It speaks more directly to the heart. It speaks more to our being as a whole, as opposed to speaking only to our intellect. You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your host Thomas Ardovani and Suzanne Toro. We are streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, and Amazon Music. Let's jump into the Joy Zone. Well, that's a lot of intellect you got going on there, <laughs> talking about intentionality and veins through leaves without any explanation whatsoever. Come on now. Analogy. Veins through leaves. Come on now. So veins so, are, the sutras. That, well, the sutra is an interpretive uh, lesson, right? It's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's like a So that calling, vein right? is going to go where it needs to go. What I found to share with the listeners, and I'm very thankful for Colin finding Wuda in Taiwan, um, is that the the tea will go where it needs to go. And even 
you know, if I have people on retreat and I'm serving them tea ceremony during the process, it definitely goes where they go. And you can see you can have a group of people and they're all having a different experience why they drink the tea, which is really powerful and speaks to the fact that that sutra is so unique to the person, um, what they're ready to receive and what the alchemy of the tree world is ready to, to offer uh, and assist with. I, I think it's one of the most simplest and beautiful way that we can nourish ourselves and others. Yeah, and to, and to connect on a deeper level with ourselves and with other people. Yeah. You know, I, I say it's like a positive Trojan horse, T is. Yeah. Uh, or because it's the second most consumed beverage on the earth. Or if you include the fact that it's 70% water, it's the most consumed beverage on the earth. Yeah. Nobody finds tea offensive. Nobody goes, <laughs> nope, nope. Those tea drinkers, you know, it's not, you can't, you can't like, uh, it's, it's really a non-offensive and very accessible thing. I so right now in your life, if you didn't have tea, well, where, where would you be? Would you be in like the gutter somewhere? Or? <laughs> I'd probably just be working on working on Wall Street. I'd probably be managing a hedge fund and. San Francisco, you know. Oh no, no uh, that's fun. not now. <laughs> I, that. I think you'd be doing your 100 um, percent of the time or something like that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's an interesting assessment because you can see that the how he approaches the, his your tea. I mean, I'm not talking about you like you're not here. There you, there you are, right there. No, oh, hi, hello. But, but you're, but you're, but you're, you're, you're uh, correlating the effort to move into a quality existence when you return to your tea, it sounds like. So it's kind of like a little alarm clock throughout the day to uh, return to the moment at hand and to remind yourself that uh, you're just here in harmony with time and space and to pro keep that programmed and, or at least close to the front of your mind so that uh, the world doesn't take you too far away. Is that Would that be sort of... Yeah, like I mean, my, possibly? you know... Like right now, I if think... you were to be better, if you wanted to be better, like <laughs> what tea would you drink right now? <laughs> well, I think if you if you think that drinking tea is going to somehow enhance you, then you got to totally you do you don't understand tea. I mean, there's a there's a saying by this guy, Rikyu, who was uh, a Zen tea master, live um, 1600s, where he said, "If your life would be any different without tea, then you're yet to understand tea." which is a very Zen thing to say. Yeah. Um, you know, we I mean, have, a, just, I have just, a... You just said yourself, without the tea, you'd be on Wall Street dealing with some head. <laughs> yeah, but... Oh, this is cheeky something. Tom's very funny. Come on, man. I'm just, I'm just being on, a smartass. So... Yeah. I know, but you're... But you're I mean, honestly, honestly, I mean, it's like, yeah, if, if somebody thinks that tea is going to make you better, but here it is. Here's, well, here's, here, here's what I can say. So, like, without my here's practice, like, you didn't have your Zen practice, if, if, if you feel, and you've seen people without Zen practice, you can see where your destiny lay without your practice. It's, that's absolute hell on earth, right? It's just a, a karmic spinning circle of repeated concepts and imitated educational perspectives. And uh, mm -hmm. we're just basically spinning around the same, same little planet, putting up walls and as our universe gets smaller and smaller. So there we mm -hmm. are without the practice, right? I think, you know... It's funny that I'm going to start this sentence with, I think, but um, I think when I observe most humans, the general state that humans are living in is lost in thought, you know, myself included. Um, and if there's not any 
effort or practice to step out of this discursive lost in thought living in the future or the past being pulled by my impulses in one direction or another if there's not any effort made to connect to something deeper beneath the noise of the thinking process or the thinking center then our life will get to the end of it and just go what did i do well i don't know i just was lost in thought the whole time <laughs> there's not a connection to really the moment um you know and my my young boy has been the greatest teacher i have practices and alarm clocks i set throughout the day to try to uh you know live a little more mindfully a little more awake um tea is certainly one of them but uh my little guy's been the greatest teacher because anytime you're like doing anything else he's like what's the deal like we could be having so much more fun if you weren't thinking about something else you know um so he's a great teacher in that way but there's a wonderful saying which is um a man of the world or man or woman of the world puts something on every day whereas a man of the doubt takes something off mm. and so a lot of the work i'm trying to do is to take off all the things that aren't essential that aren't uh, necessary or, or or real um to try to minimize the amount of extraneous um thinking and doing so that the thinking and doing i do do is actually uh grounded and real and and uh intentional mm -hmm. so i think c can help us a lot in learning about intentionality you know you've used that word like 27 times intentionality <laughs> so it's like a it, that's that's an important word, and and can you can you define that for us in terms of putting it into practice? What is that? Um, care, care. <laughs> it means uh, you know, really taking the time to care about what we're doing, to recognize the value of what we're doing, um, and to take the time to get in touch with why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. You know, I saw a lot of patients for Chinese medicine, for acupuncture and body work and diet and herbs and things over a number of years. I'm not now with COVID and this this tea house project, but when I would ask them difficult questions like, "Why are you here?" and they go, "Oh, well, because my shoulder," you know. I go, "No, no. Why? Why are you here? Why are you alive? What's your purpose? Um, who are you?" not who do you think you are like who are you really you know mm -hmm. and i get in there and i'd ask these questions and people would sometimes they appreciate it because nobody had asked them those questions and other they times they go <laughs> and other times they go give me an effing break i just came here because i got a frozen shoulder you know like, <laughs> get out of my business basically right um and but what i yeah, realized well, well, then, you, process, then, then you will go ahead and break them down and say you know what what's obstructing you <laughs> Within your <laughs> deepest of mindsets is also the same entity that's taken root in your shoulder. So if we want exactly. to really deal with your well, shoulder, we, could... we want to get into possibly what's going on inside your head so we can do both things at the same time. Yeah, exactly. That's right. exactly perfectly right. And if you do it well, if you got the right bedside manners, and sometimes people are actually open to it, you know. Um, so, so, so why do why do you why do you do what you do? What's the purpose well, of your life? Well, I. I did just want to finish that that <laughs> thought, which is that um, 
I just realized in that process that most folks couldn't really answer those questions. That a lot of folks have a fairly superficial relationship to their lives and to why they're here. And as a result, it's hard to have clear intentionality. If you don't really know what the hell you're doing in general, then how can you bring great intentionality or any kind of vivifying force to what you're doing in a given day? Um, and so that's just something that I've, I've worked with folks a lot on. Um, and, you know, I think at the deepest level of healing, what we call the inner tradition of Chinese medicine or Taoist medicine is getting a person really connected to what we call the, the Ming and the Ming is your contract with heaven. It's your reason. It's your raison d'etre. It's the reason that you are here in this incarnation with all your craziness and your wonderful constitutional makeup and your family and your whatever you got that you were given for a particular reason in this lifetime. That's um, th when a person gets that really dialed in, then they, they, their life takes on a different dimension of depth. All right, and what's so, your Ming? What's your Ming, man? Um, doing it. What's your Ming, man? Well, that's a, that's a, I just described I just I just described it. Yeah, I'm 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 working with the plants to uh, help people realign with their their own purpose. Yeah. And so how does, that, how does that help you? It's clearly clearly there's a there's a reciprocation, and uh, not just, it's just not selfless. If, if that's yeah. Possible, right? Um. What, how it helps me is um, I derive a lot of joy from it. Um, you know, I, I kind of, uh, I think I've kind of gotten to a place where what lights me up the most is when I see people kind of have breakthrough moments. So, or, or to be able to shift their life, you know, anybody who's tried to change in their lives realizes it's really hard. You know, it's extraordinarily challenging. Yeah. So, um, well, that's one if of I greatest, can, from what I understand, that that that's one of the greatest gifts that you can give somebody is, uh, and I guess that uh, by definition is love to be able to help somebody else balance or to reconnect with source is uh, the greatest act of love one could possibly perform. Yeah, I think that's uh, you know the more we can do that, the more as individuals for other people. Um, not only is this world a nicer place to live, but it also means that we're happier as individuals. So, you know, what have we realized through COVID? We've realized that we need each other and that we're profoundly social creatures, right? So, yeah. Well, and, and I like how you, you know, created a synonym for intentionality as caring. And then Thomas touched on selflessness, like to be of service. So if we connect to our mean, uh, typically, that's something that can serve others in a deep way. Uh, can you expand upon that? Because a lot of times people will approach intention uh, from a grasping versus a giving. I, well, that I think that is why I use the word caring, um, which is try to it's to try to bring a dimension of greater awareness to what you're doing. And oftentimes that means slowing down. So there are kind of, you know, we, we live in the age of hacking everything. Um, you can't really hack beingness. Either you're growing in beingness or you're not. Um, but there are ways, I think, to hack, you know, 
fake it till you make it, right? So beingness. There are ways. Use the, use the word. You, you slipped a little word in there. That's really a huge word. You said beingness. Yes. Being, beingness. Can you define that, that for us, layman? I would say being lost in thought is a form of beingness, uh, but it's also lost in thought, meaning that you're you're either there's a curious feature to thought. You know, I'd say to people, if you want to see just how crazy you are, start a meditation practice. Um, you know, when we observe thinking or thought itself, it's almost always in the future or the past. It's rarely uh, actually connected to what's happening in that moment and where you are in this moment. Unless you're doing and, something and trying to figure it out, right? If you're actually involved in something, trying to figure it out, like, how does my washing machine work or my dishwasher or why is it broke or how do I fix this? Then your thinking is directed towards a specific activity to help solve a problem, right? Yeah. And I would say that that activity could be done with greater or lesser beingness, meaning, and that's where we get into a lot of the, um, a lot of the feminine based teachings historically, which are rooted in embodiment. So we see these in, some of the Vajrayana Buddhist teachings and the Tantric teachings and um, some of the earth-based uh, spiritual systems, which are, can you fix that dishwasher while still being aware of your feet on the ground? Or, um, you know, can you go in through a door and actually be aware of the feeling of the doorknob in your hand as you turn it and step through the doorway? Um, this idea of being embodied, being more in your body, connected to your sensations, you know, the body uh, has this wonderful quality in that it doesn't time travel. It's not in the future or the past. It's always here. And so the more that part of our consciousness is reserved for being connected to our physical being, the sensations in it, the emotions in it, whatever is happening, um, the greater the likelihood that you're actually more rooted in this moment. And, you know, one of the most basic principles of Zen is um, one, one can only live their lives here and now, you know, we are only existing in this moment. Your life is taking place right now. So I like saying to folks, this isn't a dress rehearsal, you know, <laughs> this is a, there's not some time in the future when your life is going to begin. Like, this is it. You know? It's happening now. It's happening right here and right now. So you might as well start living it. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, was there, any... was, there a, was there a moment that, like, like uh, can you reflect on, in your life in terms of where it turned the corner? There's a moment where you woke up to this. Was there something happening contrary um, that forced you into... There wasn't an accident, or was there, you know, just a life thing that happened? I mean, I would, I would say in brief, there were two things. One was my, my grandfather was a very special man. He was interesting because he was a, a doctor and a Western scientist. He actually performed the second successful kidney transplant in Canada, which is kind of crazy, or in North, in North America. Wow, special, um, talented guy. Yeah, he had nine children, my mom being the oldest, and. Um, he was a devout Catholic, but he was also interested in young and all these yogis from India. And he, you know, lived in Africa for 10 years. And he was a very um, diverse interest and very open-minded. And uh, he gave me the book Siddhartha when I was 13 by Herman Hesse. And uh, 
That oh, kind like of made me go. For a <laughs> well, I remember reading and going, "This doesn't seem to be what I'm being taught in school." I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, what's going on here, but that uh, that definitely planted some early seeds of interest in Eastern ideas. And then I would say a second really significant thing was I went through a pretty uh, profound uh, depression when I was 16 around the recognition that nothing's permanent, everything's impermanent. And I said, well, if everything's impermanent, then everything's devoid of emptiness and meaning. Mm. Uh, and the, it, the reason I got depressed subsequently was I went, I made it very meaningful and significant that things are devoid of emptiness and meaning <laughs> instead of, instead of recognizing. the Richter scale. I, went, I, went, yeah, I, I took that very seriously, you know. Um, <laughs> Instead of recognizing that it's empty and meaningless, that it's empty and meaningless, which is the basis of the Heart Sutra, which is an important uh, text yeah. in <laughs> Buddhist thought. And um, so I got really depressed, and then I, I uh, kind of started observing how different parts of myself seemed to be in disagreement with each other. And I went, well, how is that possible? Why, why is it that in the morning I say I'm going to do one thing, and by the evening it's like a totally different person's there? Or... You know, I just got frustrated by what felt like was a faulty inner life that things weren't working properly. You didn't realize um, that you were a legion. You were you were many. You're yes, like, that I was a plur I was a I was a plurality. You know, there was too many different uh, contradictory selves inside. So and I kind of you're up you're up on the matrix, man. You were looking for, looking for Neo at an early age. Yeah, I was Love I was that. I was like. I was like, I'm crazy, and I don't seem to know what to do about this. <laughs> and then I started looking around and going, shit, so, so is everybody else. Um, and I think I got pretty frustrated by it because I tried to talk to folks about this stuff when I was 16 or 17, and people kind of look at me out of, out of one eye and go, what the hell is this guy on about? Um, so I, that just started a pretty serious search you know, over 20 years ago into – uh, who are we? Who am I? Why are we here? What's the what's the deal with this whole situation? Where you left off? Oh, yeah, feels like <laughs> yeah, you somewhere all suffering. Where's your suffering? Damn it! Yeah, I got plenty of that, but we all do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, that's not, well, yeah. that, well. Now suffering is not even a. It, I mean, from that perspective, suffering is an opportunity and a, a welcome visitor because it allows you to challenge your own faith and, uh, and your your ability to perceive it and see it for what it is. Uh, and are you, if you're attached, you'll suffer, and if you're not, you won't, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember I was I was sitting a 10-day um, meditation course in uh, Thailand about 10 years ago, and I re there was this one monk that I really liked because he had such a lightheartedness about him. He was always laughing. I kind of went, I don't know, I'm pretty sure this guy's not faking it. Whatever he's doing, I, I think I need to do the same thing because he just had the, the joy of like a child, you know? And uh, he gave a talk one day on the root of suffering and he said, it's not about desire. Everybody, all the Westerners think, you know, Eastern traditions are so pessimistic because they say no desire, everything's suffering, you can't desire anything. He said, the issue is not desire, we're humans with senses and sensations of course we're going to desire things you know we're we desire food because we need it to survive like of course you're going to desire 
He said, the issue is not desire. The issue is craving. He said, the desire, if you can just be with it and say, oh, there's desire, is totally fine and healthy and normal. The issue is the craving and the attachment and the needing and the, uh, the clinging, the grasping. He said, that's where all the suffering starts coming in. And I, that was a helpful clarification for me because, um, you know, I was raised in a Christian world where we're just sinful. <laughs> Everything of the body is sinful and it's all sinful. And, you know, <laughs> we should start whipping ourselves and, you know, it's, uh, that, that didn't work for me as a model. I said, this just doesn't seem quite right. So Yeah. Right. You want to you know the virtue, well, celebrate the virtue. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that one was, it was one of those Zen poems. If, if you realize the you're the problem. There is no problem. Uh, <laughs> right. Along, something along those lines. Well, listen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you've given you've given us an hour. I mean, we've got a few minutes left. Is... You have to ask him the guy. Oh, definitely. We wouldn't, we wouldn't leave our. Because Colin is God. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we like to, you know, because yeah. you're such a special guy. We know that you you're going to have a wonderful gift for us at the end of this particular question. But if you were God, what would be the three things that you would do for? Your world, three things. Oh boy, I mean that's a massive question just to drop on anybody, really. I mean, <clears throat> now you know how um, your clients feel. You got it. You got it. <laughs> now you know how your clients feel. <laughs> when you start asking, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, right. What's your what's your what's the point of your life? You know. <laughs> I don't. I honestly don't know that I could even begin to answer that question. Well, what is what's what's the question? What the reason I can't answer is I don't know if I remember. What's your if you were God? Well, he is God. We're all God. We well, have divine. You can start with one, but we're gonna we're gonna pressure you for three. <laughs> if you were God, what would be something that you would bestow, bestow upon this earth and upon its sentient beings? You know, on, uh, uh, how would you how would you uh, if you had a wish, three wishes or three actions? Or three things that you could bestow upon us immediately, what would those three things be? Like three magic wands. And you can just start with one, and then we'll analyze one, and then we'll go to two, and then we'll go to three. So you don't have to well, I think, it's a, I think it's a tricky question because the first, the first uh, answer that, I, that comes to mind is having people recognize their own true realization of God in themselves um, because nice that's good at, that's a good one at the deepest level of life if we all were connected to that the world would be of just a fundamentally different place on every level um, so what was that once what do you say recognize God within themselves oh if you could if you recognize if we could recognize you within everybody else got you if you they want could. everybody you want everybody to find you and everybody else i got you all right got yeah. you. that's one a true a true realization of god because you're god now so what you would like to see yeah. as god you know it's, it's certainly not an egocentric god why would he want to see himself and everybody else but in this case it works in this case yeah well, I think it works. god is an egoist in this particular perspective because he would want everybody to find that sense of freedom or wisdom or innate genius that they have within them. Got it. That's one. Good one. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, with that comes omnipresence and uh, eternal life and love and all the things, wisdom and clarity and all the things that um, 
could provide both meaning but also happiness for people in their lives. That would be numero uno. That's a good one. I guess number two would be for people to be connected to their own genuine wish to grow, that they would feel that as a, um, a driving light in their lives because the wish to grow is something that um, can help carry us through most of our experiences in the sense that if one's really connected to that wish, then even when they encounter extraordinary adversity and difficulty and suffering, which is inevitable in samsara, yeah. um, they can recognize in those experiences the profound opportunity there to consume those experiences as fuel for their growth. Yeah, that's really um, I think you wrap that up in a quest, right? You, you wish, you hope that people quest for their potential. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that they're connected to one of the reasons that I think we're all here, which is to grow, you know, mm. um, well, to learn and to grow. You know. So you got, so you got, I mean, <laughs> so you got, so you want to see yourself and everybody. Look, with my, with my universal uh, omnipotence, yes, I, you know, I'm just trying to share some of the obvious for me. Right. And then, well, I don't know. That's not so obvious. I mean, to, to, to actually, nobody has, nobody's ever said in like three years of doing shows and asking this question to quest is how important it is to quest and to realize and seek one's potential in this time frame. Uh, so as to push the bar basically for the next mm -hmm. time around, if there is a next time around. So yeah, uh, cool. Good. And then the third, the third one, <laughs> the third one, well, because you're talking about a quest, this is what comes to mind. No, you're and, talking um, about a quest. That's your thing. I'm talking about a quest. <laughs> um, which is, you know, when we get into uh, like the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and all that. The reluctant hero goes on a quest, you know, and they have to be reluctant because, uh, you know, they're, they're um, because yeah. of humility. Because of humility, because it's hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. Um, but, and they go on this extraordinary adventure that then changes them in the process. And in it, they discover some extraordinary gift. And then they bring the gift back to their community and they, they bestow this blessing upon their community upon returning. And in returning, they've been changed by the experience. The giving of the gift at the end of the quest mm -hmm. comes from this all encompassing love. And so I, I don't know that everybody wants to go on some wild uh, heroic adventure to the edges of the universe. Some people want to just be at home, you know, right. um, but perhaps without having to go on the hero's journey, they can find this all encompassing love within themselves and then live their lives from that place. So the third uh, principle, the third uh, thing as God, naturally, uh, yes. uh, I would like people to be connected with is this all-encompassing, ever-present love that's available um, Here, now, throughout our lives. You know what? I think, I think, I think to sum up there, your third thing, if, I'm, if I may be so bold to talk to God in this particular respect, <laughs> is that you, you, what you really mean to say, God, is that uh, you hope that after questing and realizing one's potential that they return and to teach others and to be of service. It sounds like yes. you use the word love in such a fashion in terms of to, 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 to return. It felt like you were going yeah. 
Like, okay, well, God, is that like the most encompassing? You'd be a wonderful God, though. I mean, like, okay, well, he is a wonderful God. <laughs> I mean, how cool is that? I mean, that's like, that's like, find God, you know, find, find me, find me and all, all of you, um, quest to realize your potential in the time frame you have. And once you figure that out, share it with others so they can live. Exactly. Them, bring them up, right? Yeah, that's, that's so it. beautiful. You know, you know. And if that's you're, crazy. If you just don't want, if you want the easy that's route, wonderful. they can just feel that love and return it all to everyone. Yeah, if they don't, if they're not, if they're not adventure seekers, <laughs> if they're not extreme, they're not extreme all season athletes like me, you know, then they can, uh, then they can just uh, sit at home and connect with it, uh, you know. It's your Instagram. <laughs> well, well, let's, well, let's throw this tea up here. And, and, oh, and uh, it's such a treat to like sit and chat and receive some of your wisdom. Um, have you guys done any Zoom? I know this is so weird. I went to my first Zoom funeral, which is was very strange. But I think, yeah, but I really would love to have a Zoom tea ceremony, I think. <laughs> well, so we are going to start doing that soon. We're doing all sorts of things because we can't open the tea house. So like yeah. we built out this ambassador affiliate program because a lot of people say, I want to share your teas. And yep. I said, okay, great. So people can um, share our teas with their communities and, you know, get discounts for themselves and other people. And we, I just record a bunch of videos of some of the different brewing techniques and methods that we use, um, which are going to go up here pretty soon. And we send out the seasonal tea club. It just went out last week. Um, and the seasonal tea club's cool because I, I take one of six, well, you know, Suzanne, I take one of the six principles uh, of tea and I go deeper into it every season. So this most recent one that went out last week is um, in tradition. It's in the six principles under tradition. And the tradition I was focusing on was Zen. So I did a whole write up on different tenets of Zen and how they relate to different aspects of tea. Um, you know, last season was a was about uh, diet and the, the history of food, and the season before that was about virtue versus ethics or morality. Mm. Um, you know, so we go into we kind of I kind of go I do a deep dive in a topic every season, and then it goes out with teas and why they're special and why they're seasonally appropriate and how to prepare them and all that. So it's kind of a fun way to uh, to get engaged, and then. If you subscribe to our newsletter on the homepage, you'll hear about these upcoming tea ceremonies, which are going to be coming down the, the pipe here pretty soon. I think that's beautiful. And what, what address is it? I have it on the screen. I've been actually putting it in the chat, and then we'll make sure all this is included on the radio what broadcast. LivingTea.net. 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 That's easy. That's a good one. Colin Don't go LivingTea.com because somebody will snag that probably. I've been trying to get it from a, it's a guy in Hawaii who's had it for about six years. And every time I try to buy it from him, it's gone up another $2,000. Oh. I go, come on, man. Break. Oh. Livingtea.net. Well, it's okay. Yeah. Well, so it looks like we're sticking with .net for this lifetime. You know? Yeah, it's all good. Well, it works. Well, listen, it's been, it's been beautiful. You can hang up on us. We're going to talk, we're going to talk about you. And how good of a god you could be! I so appreciate all of you, Colin. It's so good to see you. Yeah, I can't wait to come out there and see you in the mountain range. Yeah, love you too, Suze. Let's uh, let's talk offline here soon. Okay, ciao. Ciao. Okay, cool. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye. Hey, there he is. All right, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I got got it. I mean, we got into the got into it more uh, as he uh, 
you know, you know, all you guys, you guys talk about your teachers more than you actually speak your own words in, your, in terms of your own experience of it, so you honor your teachers to such a high degree. And I think that's beautiful. But uh, your own personal experiences uh, relative to a sutra or a Zen Cohen is, uh, is really where you start to see you know, where the person is in their understanding and their belief. Right. It's cool to see him do that, like to start to go beyond the teacher. And, you know, he, sure. is, he is the teacher. Of course. Right? He's, he's he is the, the teacher. A wise man that's worn robes in many lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's cool. <laughs> he's definitely a Dharma brother and uh, just, a, you know, anyone that can connect to his works. I posted some of the teachings here, or teachings, the writings, they are teachings and things people can dive into. Uh, it's really, you know, so accessible for everyone. And tea is a great way, especially if people are feeling lonely right now. A bowl, a bowl of tea will give you that inner hug. Uh, it's pretty magical. And it does deepen your relationship with nature. So that yeah, you're, taking that, you're taking that conscious time out for yourself and at least being there with yourself in time and space, possibly if you're doing a team ceremony by yourself. But uh, it's... Uh, more, more of a how, how to go about doing the dishes, how to go about cleaning up the house, how to go about fixing your car, how to go, how to get through your day. It's how you are in the mundane tasks of life that make it extraordinary. Um, a lot of times people live from event to event. You know, they have to feel like they got to go to the best concert, or they got to go to Hawaii every other week, or they got to go to this place in order to feel validated. But it's really uh, how they are on the way to their events that allow them to really appreciate that event. Uh, and so a lot of, for me, in his, and what you do with the tea, it's more about just uh, reminding yourself how to be, literally how to be. Like, how should I be in these set of circumstances in order to become better? And to do what he said as God, and that is to quest and to figure out how to realize your potential in this time and space between action and cut, which is the time that we're, we arrive to the time that we leave. It's happening now. Yeah. There's <laughs> definitely a major transition happening. Uh, yeah. But, and that's good for everybody to shake it up and to break form and to come back uh, with fresh perspectives that actually serve uh, everybody on a grander scale it can only be better. We can only get better by Absolutely. doing that. As long as, you know, the... the your, your, your captors have good intent and, uh, <laughs> you know, understand yeah. that uh, you, you, as a human being, you are divine and that there is a high sense of intelligence within each one of us. And if you're trying to hold us as captors, fool us into thinking that we're something other than that, uh, that it won't work very long. So, mm -hmm. you know, everybody that takes the time to, to be has all the answers at their fingertips. Absolutely. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's a great question. Uh, wonderful. So who do we have next? Well, we'll have a little pause. So anyone that's listening, I think we have a couple of listeners and we got some comments there too, uh, is Autumn Sky. She's an artist up off the Sunshine Coast right. in British Autumn Columbia. Sky. Autumn Sky. And Autumn Sky. And nice. very uh, beautiful pairing today to have Colin and her. She's um, an otherworldly artist also. Uh, so like some of the ones we had, beautifully masterful. So. As inspired, for those that have tuned in, come back here on Indie Creators in the Joy Zone Facebook Live. You can watch that segment with Autumn Sky. 
In addition, we'll be running this segment on Spotify, on iTunes, on Amazon, Music, Google Play, uh, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the World Wide Web, and many other streaming services. So you can just look us up under Indie Creators in the Joy Zone and jump into a little bit of the Joy Zone. All right, good. Well, so so we'll, uh, we'll be back soon. All right, signing out. You are listening to Indie Creators in the Joy Zone with your host, Thomas Artivani and Suzanne Toro. We are streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Play, and Amazon Music. Let's jump into the Joy Zone. Follow the sun, the direction of the bird. 